Well, the song we just sang puts it in perspective pretty well. That's who we are here to worship. That's who we are here to learn from. That's who we are here to embody. And uh, so as we get started here tonight, I shared a couple of weeks ago and a very quick review because we're going to build off of that. Right before Jesus did what we just sang about, um, right before he went to the cross, scriptures record what was on his heart, what he was praying about. And his passionate prayer in John 17 was that those of us who name his name, those of us who follow in his footsteps, would be as unified with each other as he is with the Father. That's what he prayed. And uh, we talked a little bit about how it, it wasn't unity as an end in itself. It was unity as a means to an end. And so verse 23 is up on the screen, maybe a little bit hard to read, but it kind of summarizes maybe as well as any verse that prayer from John 17. May they, he's praying for us, may we be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. The unity that he's praying for is supposed to spill out of the four walls of the church and be visible to the world outside. Talked a little bit about uh, a picture in the Bible. Apostle Paul developed it of what that unity looks like, and it's the picture of a body, a body that's got all these different parts. They each have their own specialties. They each have built-in strengths, each have built-in weaknesses, but they're all connected to the same head. And as they work together, the body can accomplish amazing things. And then finally, we ended uh, by talking about an organization called For Tucson as one application of what that all looks like. So um, after last week and in the last couple of weeks, so it was two weeks ago that I shared, had a couple of questions. A couple of folks said, so are you going to share some more about For Tucson in today's message? The answer is no, uh, I'm not. But there is a table back there, so if you want some more information, you can see me afterwards. <laughs> um, it's really not about an organization, and I hope that two weeks ago wasn't about that. It's really about what God wants to do with the whole body in the city. Some structure can be helpful to that. But it's really about what God is doing and, and what he wants to do. And so there's probably going to be some challenges. If God's on the move, then there's probably going to be some counteraction. And so there's going to be some challenges to unity. And so that's what I'd like to talk about tonight. Um, you might remember in John chapter 1, um, John the Baptist has been out baptizing, and there's this fascinating exchange where people come up to him, and they say, who are you, and what are you doing? And do you remember how he answers? It's, it's like this, this game of evasion. He says, well, I'm not the Messiah. And I said, well, then... Are you Elijah? I'm not Elijah. He never really says who he is. He just says all the things he's not in John chapter 1. So here's my John the Baptist impersonation about tonight's message. 
Most of what I'm going to share is not original. Um, it's been said that the first time you hear an original sermon, you should be very worried. <laughs> um, most of what I want to share, I, I learned from people who deeply impacted me, and so I'm going to pass it along. Um, a lot of what I'm going to share, maybe all of what I'm going to share, is not profound. Um, it's really pretty simple. Um, Two quotes that I remember from different speakers that I've heard. One said, it's not, you know, it's not so much that we need to learn new things as much as it is that we need to put into practice what we already know. <laughs> I think that's really true. And then a second guy kind of took the same thought and packaged it a little different. He said, especially as Americans, wouldn't you say that our knowledge far surpasses our obedience. <laughs> so may not be a whole lot of new knowledge today. Um, it's not complete, not even attempting to be complete. Um, there are so many challenges to unity, and I'm not even trying to get them all. Um, I just want to share about some that I've personally experienced in my home, in my congregation. I led a church for 20 years um, anybody know that occasionally unity is challenged in a congregation? Anybody ever experienced that? Um, and in my work these last three years in, in the city church. So that's where it comes from. Um, not very compact. Um, I'm sharing some things out of uh, a book that I wrote, but I just felt like I needed to package it different for tonight. And so it's drawn from all these different chapters. Um, one part of one point alone was once an eight-week sermon series in my other church, which should have you really nervous right now. Um, you, they, they, it's, it's been said that if you want a better pastor, you should pray for the one you have more. So I'm encouraging you, this is where you're praying that I'll know what not to say so that uh, this service doesn't run into the next one. That would be a good thing. Um, there's, there's so many different levels or, or areas or arenas in which we could apply this, and I'm not smart enough to try to figure out how to sort all that out. Um, there's challenges to unity in our interpersonal relationships, in our marriages, with our kids, with our parents, with our siblings. So on that level, um, there's probably some challenges to unity within the congregation and community groups and groups that we know within the church. If there aren't any challenges to unity, then it's just because you don't know each other well enough. <laughs> Um, and for sure, there's challenges to unity citywide. So it puts us in a great place, I hope, which is that we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit would take this raw material and just kind of tap us when it's the part that we're supposed to really tune in on and really dig in on and hang on to and apply. Because it's probably not going to be all of it. But we're going to pray that it'll be part of it. And it'll be the part that God knows we each need to hear tonight. So I actually would like us to do that right now. Um, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge right up front we are totally dependent on you. You are the one who takes the words of Jesus and brings them to mind. And so we pray that you would take these words and apply them 
to exactly, you know every heart in here, and you know exactly what you are wanting to do tonight. And so we trust you in that, and we want to be open to that. We want to be sensitive to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. There's this, uh, if there's a theme verse, here it is. It's Romans 12 uh, for what I want to share tonight. Romans 12, verse 18. Paul wrote it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a really interesting verse to me. If it is possible, which kind of indicates that it's probably going to be challenging, this whole unity thing. In fact, I don't think Jesus was so passionate and burdened by the topic. I don't think he would have been if it was easy to pull off. If, well, just, you know, be unified. If that was an easy thing to do, I don't think it's what he would have been praying about as he went to the cross. If we could achieve it on our own without God's help, no need for prayer. Second phrase, as far as it depends on you. <laughs> um, that's, I think, probably a lot of times farther than we give ourselves credit for. Um, there, there is a lot that we can do to contribute to unity. But there's an indication right in there that, you know, unity between... The, it's sometimes, you know, if, if you're in a group of more than one person, unity is going to be challenging. And sometimes it can be challenging when you're by yourself. <laughs> so there's a recognition that... That, uh, you know, we just are giving ourselves an opportunity for the enemy to beat us up if we think that every time there's disunity, it's 100% our fault. Um, as much as it depends on us, and we need to take our part seriously, but there's another party involved, and it may not be entirely dependent upon us. And then live at peace with everybody. Um, it's talking about the world, actually, more than just within the church. Jesus' prayer is primarily talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's an even higher calling than just living at peace. It's living in love for one another. But we're then also supposed to live at peace with everyone. So that's kind of the background. Here's a few challenges to unity. Here's the first one. Um, myopia. Uh, it, it kind of means like to be nearsighted, uh, to have tunnel vision, to have too narrow of a focus, to have our goals set too low. I think that's one of the first challenges. Um, I, the family that I grew up in, um, I, just by the very nature of my upbringing, I came to appreciate unity uh, within the Christian family. Because my mom, when I was in high school, was on staff in a Lutheran church, and my dad was on staff in a Baptist church. And so unity affected the supper time, or, or, or not. Um, and so I, I came to appreciate unity. You would think that then when I became a pastor, I would get this. Well, I got it here, but it's easier to get it here than it is to get it here, and it is to get it where your feet actually take you. So, so I knew as a pastor that the church is bigger than just my little church that I'm responsible for. I knew I needed to meet with other pastors. So it was absolutely a priority for me 
to meet with other Lutheran pastors. But that's a little overstated because I really wasn't interested in meeting with all the other Lutheran pastors. I was interested in meeting with my kind of Lutheran pastors. And that was a priority. (laughs) That is just so sad. It's so myopic. It's so... It's so not what Jesus was praying. I shared, and I want to go into just a little bit more detail uh, last time, that the starting point when you think church in the New Testament is the city. Not the congregation, not the denomination or network if you're not in a denomination. Um, It's the city church. Um, And so I want to share a couple of those references. Um, They're up on the screen. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. That's the section of Revelation where there's seven letters to the churches. Have, Have you ever thought about what all seven of them have in common? They're written to cities. Every one of those is the name of a city. They weren't just written to a congregation. They were written to the church, all the churches in Ephesus or Smyrna or Philadelphia. They were written to cities. It was just kind of assumed. Um, Last week, Chris put up uh, the beginning of the Acts, Acts chapter 1, and one of those verses, verse 8, says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, I think it's interesting that Jesus started with the city. Jerusalem. That's not intuitively obvious. Um, you'll be my witnesses in your relationships, uh, in, in your sphere of influence. That's what I would have expected. Um, when, when Jesus said, I want you to be fishers of men, we're so individualistic as Americans. You know, we've, we think of fishing as a one-person job with a pole. How did they think of fishing? It was a group activity with nets. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, it's bigger than just our little pocket. It's, it starts with city. Romans chapter 16 is fascinating. Um, if you just read through at the end, Paul is, is talking about all different kinds of people, and you get a picture of what the church in Rome looked like, and it, there's all these different house churches that are mentioned there. So there were lots of house churches in all of these cities, and so with that backdrop, I want, I want to look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Remember, that's where the body analogy is laid out. But now that you're thinking city, it'll perhaps read a little bit different. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 12. Here's verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, again, to a whole city, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. Now, he's not saying that they would be identical, but he's saying that there would be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's the reason, the primary reason, that Paul wrote the first letter of Corinthians, was this unity issue. Keep going. Verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, what's that? That's one of the churches. That's just what they had to call it. So some from one of the churches have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So somebody tattled to Apostle Paul. Verse 12. 
What I mean is this. One of you says, well, I follow Paul. Another says, well, well, I, I follow Apollos. Uh, another says, well, we follow Cephas. And still another says, well, oh, I follow Christ. <laughs> now, let me just translate that. I, I follow Luther. Oh, no, no, no. We, we follow Calvin. No, we, we follow Wimber. Now, do you know John Wimber? He's, he's the guy that started the vineyard, but not this vineyard. Different vineyard. This is the original vineyard. That's another vineyard. He started the other vineyard. <laughs> so you got all these denominations. There were already denominations in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. They just weren't called that. But it's exactly the same thing. But what I find so interesting is look at the next thing. But then there's the groups that are the non-denominational churches, and they just say, well, we don't believe in any of that. We just follow Christ. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) It's right there. (laughs) I think the first challenge to unity is that we we just have our sights set too low. Sometimes there's animosity between parts of the city church. Um, Usually it has more to do with personality than anything else, but sometimes there are. But you know the much bigger problem than animosity is just isolation. Isolation's a much bigger problem than animosity. And um, do you know what you call it? when a body part is completely isolated from the rest of the body? We call it amputation with, with the physical body. If a body part is totally isolated, it's called amputation. And it's no prettier in the spiritual body than it is in the physical body. But we've just come to accept it as normal. So that's the first challenge. With me so far? Okay. All right, here's the second one. Um, common kindness... Um, but we just forget about it. <laughs> uh, where do you think the need for unity is absolutely the greatest? I would say at home. Um, that would be the place that it starts. That's where the need for unity is the greatest. But isn't it true, or I hope it's not just me, <laughs> um, that home is where, where you have a tendency to relax um, home is where, how many times have you heard this? Home is where we can be ourselves. Um, we don't have to perform anymore when we're at home. We don't have to put our best foot forward like they have to do when you're you know, at work. Um, at home is where you can just relax. Well, there's parts of that that are really true, but there's parts of that that are just an excuse that we can just be lazy and selfish. Because we're just being ourselves. <laughs> it's very revealing. Um, one of my favorite mentors um, wrote an article on marriage. He said, the purpose of marriage is to kill you. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, um, it's the place where we need to learn to die to ourselves. It's the primary place we need to figure out how to die to ourselves. It's the first place often where we figure out, or don't, how to die to ourselves. 
So I, I just think this common kindness, I, most, of the, most of the unity issues that I know about, that I've experienced firsthand, that I'm responsible for, um, on any different level, are, are like so basic. Um, like common kindness, like listen more and talk less. <laughs> you know, that's not rocket science, but man, is it a common cause of disunity. Just need to listen more and talk less. Um, need to ask questions instead of make assumptions. Really basic, but often forgotten. Put the best possible construction on somebody else's actions. It's common kindness, but when we forget it, it's a major challenge to unity. Um, next one. Common cause um, is just a way of saying that we have a tendency to gravitate around people that we have things in common with. Now, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I also don't think it's something that could be changed even if we wanted to. I think it's kind of how we work. I think it's also kind of how the, God put the body together. I've noticed, you might have too, that our, our fingers tend to be grouped together rather than randomly spread all over our body. Um, I, I just think likeness has a tendency to hang around other parts that are similar, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Whose idea was it that the body would have different parts and strengths and specialties? Uh, that would be God's. That's not the result of human sin. It was God's idea that the body would be put together that way. Where, where the problems come is not that we've got these common causes, these things that we have in common. It's that we tend to exaggerate them and say, well, everybody else should be like this. Um, I love how we've been coming here now since October. And I, I, I think that this church does a really great job when talking about missionaries of finding ways that everybody gets in on the mission activity instead of, oh, missionaries. <laughs> and us little people over here. <clears throat> Do you, you know what I'm saying? Um, I, th I, think, I think this church does that really well. There's a way that you can go on a mission trip and come back and have everybody else feel like they were a part of it. Or there's a way you can go on a mission trip and come back and share and have everybody else feeling jealous or guilty or just, will you please stop talking about that? I wasn't there. No, I don't find that funny, that story very funny. I wasn't there. <laughs> there's a difference in how you talk about it. Um, within churches, it was funny, we were having this conversation over up at the booth, I joked and said, I should just sit down and have you guys preach this sermon. We were talking about um, powerful renewal movements that can take place in the church, like three-day movements, like Walk to Emmaus or Curcio or, or things like that, Tarosh. Those can be really, really powerful. Um, they can also split churches. If the folks that are in give off the impression intentionally or otherwise, we're the class A Christians. You all 
if you ever experience this, man, will you know what Christian life is like. When we start talking that way, marriage encounters are a wonderful thing. But there's people who won't go on one because of how obnoxious some of the people who've been on them have been. I'm a fan of discipleship programs. Probably the church that when my church grew up, I hoped it would become like. It was like this amazing church. Talking to some folks this last week, the church is splitting over a discipleship program. Because the discipleship program has become, if, unless you're in this program, you can't be part of this church. Common cause is wonderful, but there's only one that's big enough to keep from splitting the body up. And that would be Jesus as Lord. Everything else needs to be recognized as part of the body. Um, there's a flyer back there for Tucson Ministry Alliance, and it invites churches and ministry leaders around town um, to come together for lunch on, around a given topic. And uh, when we first started it a couple of years ago, we actually had to introduce a policy, which was no soliciting. Because pastors stopped coming. Because every time a pastor would come, every citywide ministry would just jump on him like fresh meat because they were so excited about their ministry, which is a good thing. But no one church can be involved in every ministry in the city. Not even intended to. And so the enthusiasm became a damper instead of... Catching, following what I'm saying? I think it happens in a lot of different ways. It can happen in the home. It can happen in citywide church. It's, it's a... It can be an issue. The antidote is the next one, um, humility. And uh, I think this is really all of them kind of point to this. Um, we just need a little more. <laughs> and, and a lot of our unity issues would go away. Um, Jesus had the least reason of any person who ever lived to be humble right? The King of kings and Lord of lords did not need to be humble. And he chose humility every step of the way. Um, He's unique among any person who ever walked the earth in having the opportunity to choose the circumstances of his birth and to choose the circumstances of his death. Could you think of more humble circumstances in either case? He chose them. He chose the lowest possible path. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable <laughs> that as his followers we so often choose a different path. How ridiculous that I would choose not to be humble when Jesus chose to be humble. Um, Paul Anderson said this, pride 
dies hard. He said, pride has an amazingly strong survival instinct. And while I don't believe in reincarnation, I'm willing to make an exception when it comes to pride. Kill it in one form and watch it come back in another. Um, that certainly has, has been my experience. Um, it is just so easy to slip in. And humility, um, same guy, Paul Anderson, said this, and I, I just think this is so true. We so misunderstand humility. Humility is not um, thinking less of yourself. That's just a different form of pride. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is, is when you get to the place where you think of yourself less. You're just less self-focused. I think that's really more what humility is all about. Now, uh, Chris last week talked about the Holy Spirit and the need to be filled with and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Um, I think it's interesting that humility ultimately is a condition of the heart and that's really not something that we can directly affect, right? I can't change my own heart. Who has to change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh? That would be God. I can't do that for myself. I can recognize that I have a heart of stone, but I can't change it. God is the one who has to change that. What's interesting about humility is that the Bible doesn't say be humble, because only God can do that for us. What it says regularly is, humble yourself. Because both the Greek and the Hebrew words for humility have this in common. They mean go low. Like, how low can you go? That is something that is in our control. We can choose to go low. We can choose to serve. We can choose to take the lowest position at the table. We can choose. There's all these kinds of things that we can do that humble ourselves, that are within our control, and that put us in a great position for God then to change our heart so that we become more humble internally. But the part that's in our control is we can choose to go low. Um, if you look at that, I wouldn't expect you to read all of those, um, be able even to read all of them. But what I found remarkable when I was looking at this is look at the different kinds of biblical literature that all say, humble yourself. You've got the, the books of Moses. You've got the historical books. You've got the wisdom literature, like Proverbs. You've got the prophetic literature, like Daniel. It's all over the Gospels. And you've got the epistles. That, I think, is every category of writing in the Scriptures. And they all have a common message of um, humble yourself. There's a green sheet of paper that I copied um, back on the back table. And um, the same guy, Paul Anderson, uh, you've heard of an uh, IQ test, an intelligent quotient? He put together an HQ test, a humility quotient test. It's really good. Um, if you want to humble yourself, 
I dare you, take the HQ. <laughs> um, and I'm, I think I can probably confidently say um, it, you'll, you'll find some things that are not what you expect on the HQ test. Okay, the last one is this. The last one I want to share anything about tonight is um, grace and truth are intended to be in combination. Uh, my favorite description of Jesus in John chapter 1 is that he came full of grace and truth. I love that picture. It so accurately describes how Jesus walked the earth. He was full of grace. Sinners flocked to him. The people who, were the, who should have been the, the ones repelled by the Holy of Holies were the ones that flocked to him. He was totally full of grace. And yet you could never accuse him of watering down the truth. He was stronger on truth than anybody else. He had them together in this amazing package. I think one of the huge challenges to unity is that we have a tendency to separate them and not keep them together. Conflict is completely inevitable. Um, it, so many people are surprised when they become Christian and they become part of a church and they get more and more involved in the church and then there's conflict and then they leave the church <laughs> because they're shocked that there would be conflict in the church. Do you know anybody who's ever had that experience? <laughs> See, people are people wherever they go. And, and the church is not an exception to that. And if it weren't for sinners, we'd be completely out of business in the church business. <laughs> it's the only kind of folks there are. And so there's going to be conflict. Conflict is completely inevitable. It's essential that we figure out how to deal with it. And I believe this, in fact, I think there's one phrase that maybe is, is so helpful. Um, it's Ephesians 4, chapter 15. It says, speaking the truth in love. Look at what this says. As we speak the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Remember what Jesus prayed, that they would be brought to complete unity to let the world know. It seems to me this is saying that speaking the truth in love is one of those ways that we can grow to that, become to that complete unity. And yet, I think it's just um, incredibly difficult. Um, sorry for this analogy, Micah. You were just telling me about cutting your finger on a couple of tools this afternoon. I think speaking the truth in love is like this power tool, but if it's not built on humility, it's like putting a chainsaw in the hands of a kindergartner. <laughs> if it is not built on humility, it's just dangerous. Um, the tent out front is up, and so I'm thinking a lot about weddings these days because my daughter had her bridal shower here this morning. She's getting married June 29th. And uh, for some reason, she didn't want me to do her pre-marriage counseling. I'm, I'm just hurt by that. I, I can't understand why she... So she, here's, here's what she's missing. Um, I, so she's, she's going to be here tomorrow, so she'll get the opportunity. Since I didn't get a chance, I'm going to share it with her. Um, 
we, we did this uh, communication exercise um, in every couple that I ever did pre-marriage counseling for. And one of the pieces, one of the communication guidelines is this one, speak the truth in love. And so one of the things that we talk about in that is that I think it's the hardest of the communication guidelines on the whole list to pull off because there's so many incredible ways to blow it. <laughs> um, the first way that we blow it is the very first word. We don't speak. We just hold it in. There's something that is an issue, and we think blessed are the peacemakers, and we think that means just keep quiet. It's not what it means. It's really the best synonym would be truth tellers. Blessed are the truth tellers. And it's not the first of the Beatitudes. The first is blessed are the poor in spirit. It's talking about being humble. Yeah, there's not time to go into that. So I'll just keep going. But we, we, we blow it because we don't speak. And uh, here's what happens when we don't speak. Then, then it kind of grows, builds up, so that when we do speak, what we speak is not the truth but an exaggeration. It's blown way out of proportion. Even if it isn't blown out of proportion in the words, it's blown out of proportion in the intensity of the words. Anybody besides me ever experience this? <laughs> ever, ever do this? So we can blow it by not speaking. We can blow it by when we do speak, we, it's not really the truth. But even if we do that well, it's like so uncommon that we could speak the truth and do it in a way that the person we're speaking to knows this is an expression of love. We're on the same team. This isn't a win-lose deal, one up, one down. We're together in this. Jesus, I think, is about the only one that was really, really good at that. But he indwells us through the Holy Spirit. So we need to mature. We need to do what that says. Grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Um, in, in, the, in the city church, in home groups, in every congregation, in every marriage and family, uh, if we don't get to a place as we keep growing in the body where we learn how to do this and how to speak the truth in love, how to address the issues that need to be addressed, um, the, the unity will just crumble. We'll go back to just hopefully be nice and polite, and that's the best you can hope for. But that is not what Jesus prayed. What he prayed is that we would brought, be brought to complete unity, that we would love one another so that the world would recognize in us the love of Christ. That's not going to happen on our own, but it can absolutely happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Next thing, I want to pray. And so um, if the worship team wants to come back up, um, it just seems so supremely appropriate that we would uh, follow up this kind of a message with the opportunity to celebrate this, the Last Supper, um, what Jesus started 
right as he was praying about unity. And the ultimate expression of humility as Jesus gives his very body and blood in, on our behalf. Um, I think it's hard to, uh, I, I did this once, um, suggested that when, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you need to do this, but once in our church, um, we said when you come to communion, um, you ought to almost crawl to the table. <laughs> you know, just go low. Um, what, what, what is it as you come? What area is it that the Lord is speaking? Here's, here's this challenge to unity that, is, that you're, you need to pay some attention to. And then just come expecting and inviting God to fill you with his presence as, as we partake of this meal. Let's pray. God, your, your vision of what was possible, that what you prayed for, is um, we won't achieve it completely until heaven. But you were praying that your will would be done on earth even as it is in heaven. And so we pray, God, that you would take us another step down the road toward greater unity in all the relationships that we have and in the relationships that we need to develop. Would you show us the the one thing that you really are wanting to impress upon us and have us take action in tonight. And God, as, as we partake of this meal of remembrance where you said, this is my body, this is my blood, as, as, we, as we partake of this meal, as we worship you, as we sing, as we come together with one voice, We again invite you, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit and change our hearts in ways that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This this first song is a new one. uh, Feel free to sing along if you like. It's sort of written from 